Hi, this is Mish Hancock, and you are listening to Mishmash, a place where I get to talk to the weird, wacky, wonderful people of this world, people I adore and want to know more about. Today, my guest is Kira Krakus. She is professor of biology and program director for the sustainability program at Maryville University, also a past TEDx speaker. Her talk is titled Plants, Pollinators, and People, a love story. Yes. Hi, Kira. Hello. It's so good to be here. I mean, you've been a guest before. Yes. And I had to have you as a guest again. Why? What are we talking about? What's all the new exciting stuff you're doing? <laughs> well, um, I, you know, I'm always I'm always out and about and messing with the plants. So um, probably the most exciting thing we have currently going on is um, I am one of six PIs, actually. This is a very connected So what's a PI? Project. Sorry, principal investigator. Gotcha. On a, a very large grant, USDA grant. Um, it was pretty big news when we, when we got the grant. Okay. Um, it connects Missouri Botanical Garden, Maryville University, Webster University, St. Louis University and University of Missouri, St. Louis. Wow, it's all of us. It is all the pollination what a collaboration. And, yes, so it's the pollination and bee biologists in the area. Um, so myself and Nikki Miller and Amy Dunlap and uh, uh, Nathan Machala and I'm, so all of these people. So it's actually um, COVID is when let us write this grant. We talked about it for years that there's a real concentration of pollination biologists and, and talent, if you will, you know, here in this area, exp right. expertise. Right. Put us all together and you've got a lot of expertise, right? Um, with both the, the bee folks and the plant folks. <clears throat> but everything prior to 2020 is everyone has a million things and we would have meetings um, like eventually once a month thanks to the Living Earth Collaborative um, okay. that all of us are fellows there and they gave us a small grant to build the collaboration that was great you know you have these monthly meetings at Missouri Botanical Garden and you brainstorm and talk and then It'd be like a month, and you just move slowly. I get it. Yeah, All yeah, of us yeah. are professors and running research labs and traveling. And yeah. It was difficult. So not that I'm, like, pro-COVID, <laughs> but it was where everybody realized Zoom is actually pretty easy. Yay. Yeah. I and was quite happy about that. Yes, in that sense. And then also that we weren't going anywhere. So suddenly we weren't oh. scattered around the world during field seasons, and I don't know, just, you know, things shifted. Right. Um, and so— our collaboration moved very, very quickly. Um, I remember the first time we brainstormed, and it was so fun. We had all these, like, whiteboards in the conference at MOBOT. And this was our guiding question. In the literature, in the pollination biology literature, in the eco-evil world of that, what's missing? What is the big connecting pieces, the big questions that, you know, lots of different places are working on? And, and you know, science moves like a right, right, mosaic right. kaleidoscope. But what are some of the big connecting pieces that we would love to see? And we filled the whiteboard. This is you saying, okay, we're all in these silos. Let's all get yeah. together. And I love with unsiloed the bee people and the plant people. With the bee people I and the plant that. people. Yeah. <laughs> and all of us had known each other for years and are very good friends, but you know, it's the chance to lock us in a room essentially. Right. So we filled, I have a picture of it somewhere of the whiteboard. It's just filled, you know, brainstorming like big, big science so nerds. Fun. <laughs> brainstorming so fun. Yeah. Big science nerding out. Um, and then we just like, you know, marinated on it. And then, um, then, like I said, COVID, and we started having, like, weekly everything. And we wrote this grant very quickly, collaboratively, like, in the, you know, the one Google Doc where everybody's using it. <laughs> and um, we wrote it very, very quickly. And then 
with really large grants like this, like over a half million dollar grants, right? You know, um, you figure the first year is like, wow, that's a great idea. And they give you lots of feedback and it, you know, it takes a couple rounds, a couple years to get it funded. We got funded the first year. Hooray. Like out of the gate, we were kind of like, oh, oh my goodness, here we go. So, I mean, it funds postdocs, it funds undergrads, it funds grad students. Um, it runs what, for five years. What is the study? So the big, yeah, the big question is, is the looking at, so we're looking at um, urban orchards and uh, okay. pollination success across the mosaic of St. Louis. So from exurban or like more rural areas right. through suburban, through right into the heart of the city. And Yay. what impacts not just pollination, but pollination success. Mm-hmm. So there's lots of states where like, here's how many pollinators show up. Or from my end, here's how many fruits we get. But I mean talking about how much is that bee carrying? Where is it carrying? How's it behaving? I have so many hours of bee footage. Um, and then what kind of pollen is it moving? And then does that translate to how many, you know, fruits essentially? And then also... Um, what do the bees need? So at different sites, Aww. we've added nesting sites or we've added resources. In all of these different sites, we've measured like amount of concrete and water and, you know, that the factors that go with them. And then also um, what resources are there because the fruit trees only bloom for so long. Like our right. March and April are just madness. Right. You know, madness. Right. And then but like, then the rest of the time, you know, <laughs> what about the bees? Um, and so... Um, you know, we're just barely starting to get some some broader results out of this as, as it's, you know, the, the four or five-year arc ends. Um, I will say we have masses of data oh, that's <laughs> because there's so, so many of us right. working with, like, yeah. multiple teams, you know, et cetera. But that's, like, the biggest, you know, been since 2020 has been just, like, consuming my existence. That's so And it's cool. terribly exciting. Um, one of the sort of meta things I love about it is it's answering those big questions. And the way you really do that is by you know, groups of good humans working together, right? right? Not siloed, love that. But also because pollination is, by definition, a connected science. Mm -hmm. It is already cross-discipline, right? Right. It is already plants and animals. And, And then adding in this human factor of the cities. Urban ecology, as we shift more and more and more into more humans on the planet living in their cities, um, we really need to think of ourselves as part of the ecosystem. How do we, we are the ecosystem for nature, not fighting against it. I love it. And so this project very much, I think, speaks to both the, uh, that you solve problems and that the world works by a network. So then as a urban dweller yes. in a loft. So mm-hmm. I don't have a yard or anything. Mm-hmm. I, I don't even, I don't have a balcony, but I have like this little thing that was a fire escape that my air conditioner lives on right now. Yes. <laughs> but like, can I do something Mish on her own with her little tiny balcony yeah, space? Yeah, Mish absolutely can. Okay, what um, does Mish do? It's sort of like, it's sort of like, I mean, this was like, you know, forever ago now that the TED Talk, but right. it is that pollinators have in some ways small needs. You know, it's not save the rhinos or something, right? Yeah, exactly. So um, having food and water sources for pollinators like these little touchdowns all the way through the city, all the way through the suburbia and so forth makes a big difference. I will say this. We found that um, the the heart of the city is actually has more resources for pollinators. Actually, the worst place for pollinators is suburbia. 
Oh, Absolutely. Really? Lawns. Lawns, because... All you get lawns is such a, lawns. Yeah. I gotta say, I'm sorry for everybody out there who's really into your lawn, but I think okay. the lawn thing is weird. It's wretched. And there was a long yeah. time ago where I was... Um, I, I, I traveled a lot for a while there with a job that I had. And I was in Canada one time, and I noticed that one of the museums where they're traveling whatever, going around to different museums was Americans and their obsession with lawns. And oh, I was like, just, oh my goodness, everybody's looking at us going, what the heck people with the springing and it's gotta be this certain color and trying to go against nature to make this look this way. And I was like, that is so true. And it takes up so, it's, it's like resources, like I want more. I need yeah. more to make me look this it, way. It is not biodiverse. It doesn't promote um, the connectedness for pollinators. Um, and can I be, can I, not terribly naughty, but a scotch spicy? Please go ahead. Okay. We, let's, I, I like your spicy. Let's be spicy. <laughs> so I think, so, you know, the manicured lawn, okay, and also like be messy gardeners, leave some twigs and nesting spaces yeah. and leave those leaves and, you know, leave those resources. Don't, don't go for a manicured suburban nightmare. That said, okay, so I find it very funny, like that 1950s white male power symbol of like the golf course yeah right yeah, right ultimate manicured controlled lawn, yeah right yeah water is, water 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 this is what chemicals, i think chemicals. is weird this is what's weird how did that become the symbol of male power because a manicured lawn like that so grasses are flowering plants mm-hmm. if they you know if you want them to seed and fill in you'd let them grow and little flowers and then they'll make seeds right but if it's like a, a golf course that it's you know most beautiful or whatever, you've castrated it. So how did Interesting a use big, of words see, there. How I did a okay. large, sterile, castrated environment become the symbol of white male power? It's a little meta. Quite interesting. <laughs> so I love that. So yeah. I, I'm going to go back to, because Mish doesn't know, if I have my little balcony, what I put on it, what is oh, right, the right. food I get? Yes. Them? So, um... The, I mean, this is where it really depends on where you are for anybody, right? I'm like five floors up. Yeah, that's <laughs> no, I mean like the, the 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 very narrow details of like what to grow or oh, gotcha, what during gotcha. the years or okay. you know, that kind of thing. This is where I, I do it by zip code, like on pollinator.org. Put in your zip code and it'll spit out. How big a plant do you want? What color do you want? What time of year do you want? Really? What, yeah. Pollinator.org. Pollinator.org. That's awesome. Yeah. Oh, I'm so excited yeah. to see what shows up. Yeah. I want to do this. That we hunt it all Because I, I, I like, I mean, I'm definitely not the person like, I can save the world. I don't have that aspiration. It, and also know that's a little bit out there to figure you can do that as yeah. one human being. But I do feel little tiny things that I can do to help. Absolutely. And that would bring me joy. Yes, and it would bring you joy, right? It really would bring me joy. I think that's true because there's so many big, big problems. You're like, I don't know. I'm just me. If we each do our bit, it's good. But pollinators we can do quite a bit for because every yard, every balcony that has uh, a space for their little busy bee selves, Mm -hmm. um, and it's not just the bees, but, you know, um, uh, matters. Yeah. Matters a lot. Yeah. They just need to have a more connected landscape. And the bees Again, need connection. our support. Yes, they, they always need our support. Are, they need us, they support us. We got yeah. to do our part. But, for them. And again, it's about connection, right? Are we connecting, you know, uh, the green spaces? Oh, so, how yeah. cool! And is there's this? some spaces that really startle me in a city that are really, really important. Mm-hmm. Um, like just a couple of years ago, I got working with um, uh, taking my class in my sustainability class to Bellefontaine Cemetery. Okay, yeah, they're phenomenal. 
They do. It's a huge green space. You don't think about it. A cemetery is a big green no, space, you right? Don't. Yeah. Yeah, like a forest park sized. Oh my gosh. Where no one's gonna build a Walmart. <laughs> um, they have like hundreds of years old trees, yeah. and they do a big thing on prairie restoration and pollination. They do great tours showing their like their their nature walks and how their habitats for like endangered species. And what strong a fun recommend. Field strong trip. recommend. That yeah. would be a fun field. Kind trip. of eye opening because you're like, yeah. oh, and this has been here for you know over a hundred years and. Is not the place you think of. I didn't for forever. But, no, no, no. You know, I didn't think yeah. of it either, but yeah. I love that. There's all these very interesting ecological spaces that um, you can see in St. Louis and that stick around because of the way that our human society works right. that we don't think about. Yeah, oh, that are cool. kind of exciting. Yeah. Also, fun. I had the students do that tour in October, which was very fun. Oh, yeah. how cool. And it's cool. kind of a cool trolley ride. And yeah, but they, they employ um, arborists and um, yeah. Anyway, shout out to I love go it. check out what they're doing. Their programming is really cool and, and all of ecology. Yeah. Oh, wow. All right. Yeah. I'm going to sign up anyway. for the field trip. So, I recall us talking at some point. What's the, there's a princess thing. Oh, Remember the princess that's the thing? Other I want to know yes. that. Yeah. Want to update on the princess. Okay. okay. So, yes, I so I study pollination. That's my main research area. And then I have all these side projects because I don't stay in my lane. I love connecting with all my different humanities folks and, and coming up with, you know, projects. And there's two right now. So one is the one you're talking about, mm -hmm. um, which is the Power, Plants, and Politics. It's the title of the talk. Um, and of the paper that's coming out uh, on the last Medici princess, Anna Maria Luisa, mm -hmm. who maintained her ruling of Tuscany um, for about 20 years, like soft power, um, by trading her knowledge of plants and her medicinal plants for political power, mm -hmm. um, which is very cool in the 1700s for a woman to pull off. Yeah. She was the last Medici. She was the last of that that ruling class, uh, that that ruling family. Um, but she had this, you know, all of these proprietary recipes that were, you know, secret, right? Um, and that they would make in her pharmacies and so forth. And she'd trade them to the Queen of England and the Duchess of, so like all over oh, the place. Like she was networked, cool. right? But no one knew what was in the recipes because they were proprietary and then they were lost. And then um, my collaborator, she's a historian, um, Ashley Buchanan, like, found the folio in the Medici archives when oh she was a grad student gosh. and it became hers, you know, like hers to work on. So, um, we were teaching together at a study abroad like forever ago. And I asked her how this cool project was going. And she said, there is, I, I need to know what this plant is. Cause she's looking at it from the history part. Right, right, how right. does this woman maintain connections and you know, all the rest of it. Um, and I said, I, no idea that that's the common name of a plant in, you know, the late 1600s, early 1700s, you know? Yeah. And then I'm like, but I know how to find out. We have one of the best botanical libraries in the world right here mm -hmm. in St. Louis at Mobile. Right. So history is much harder than science is what I discovered. Oh, wow. <laughs> you can't just like Google, well, you, you know, yeah. you're going through records. Anyway, it took us a couple of months, but I figured out which plant it was and how it got to her and could identify the name and so forth. And it was very fun and cool. And I woke up, that was really cool. That's a cool paper we'll put together. How many more of these do you have? And she's like, 200. Oh I'm like, oh, let's do gosh. this. Yeah. Oh my so gosh. we've been like slowly working through and and presenting these and publishing them. And each recipe can basically be like a student project, right? So they're very fun. It's very cool. I love yeah. that idea. I mean, as a person that my go-to is always teas to mm -hmm. start with whenever there's anything like, I got to work on this or I have this going on. I go to a tea first. Yeah. <laughs> it tends to work. Is that what works for you? Yeah. <laughs> a lot. Um, or, you know, I, I don't know. I just don't 
tend to have to go to medical doctors. Um, and I, I'm so interested in that kind of, you know, that lost knowledge. Well, what's interesting is her most famous recipe, the one that was most requested that um, and so forth, was this one for infant fever water, which would lower fevers, Ooh. which is like huge, right? Huge, if yes. for, I mean, little kids died all the time, right? Yeah. Like, you know, it's precarious to get a human to age 10 prior to modern medicine. So it was the most requested, and that's the most famous one. Um, and the active ingredient was uh, peony roots and seeds. And when we looked at it across, you know, thousands of years and, and whatever, well, that's a really common known folk medicine in like multiple areas, going all the way back to like early Greeks and into wow. Asia and the rest of it. She just basically took like, so you know how aspirin comes from willow bark? Right. This is a similar idea. It actually works very similarly. So okay. it did work, the peony roots and seeds. Um, but she basically, but you don't, you don't go pull bark off a willow tree and make a tea. Go, I wouldn't recommend it. You don't know child. where Yes. You don't know where that plant's been. You don't know how much active ingredient you're in. Yeah, no. exactly. You take a bare aspirin because you're like 200 milligrams of the thing. Exactly. Great. Right. That's basically, she was, that's her. She's bare or murk. So she took basically this folk medicine and then repackaged it, made it proprietary, standardized it, sold it. Wow. Now, that's not the part of the recipe that catches people's attention. The part that catches the attention is the last ingredient, which is one ounce of freshly ground skull. And then this is where the cemetery comes in? No, no it isn't. <laughs> but I did have, so, and, and human skull that has never been buried and is was healthy. Oh, goodness. Right. So this is usually like in a talk or something. It's like my fun little hook because you put up the recipe and people go, oh, well, oh, well, I mean, cool, the we, plant, but, like, about that last ingredient. Okay. So when you dedicate your body to science, yeah, like might, what, what's going on down there? used for this in the future. Yeah, okay. Exactly. So I had, and this is the best part about working with undergrads, because they don't have um, a lot of preconceived ideas, or they'll ask the question that somebody else might think is dumb or uh, yeah, whatever, yeah, right? right? They're just, yeah. like, throwing that. I love that. So two years ago, I had a couple students come in, and we were working on you know, all sorts of recipe stuff. And there's one student, and um, he was a biochem student, and he goes, uh, Peyton was his name, and he goes, well, I want to, what was the skull doing? And I go, I don't know, man. I, you know, they there's a lot of history parts that, like, there's pearls in there because it's for royalty, and the skull probably had something to do with still the, you know, the sort of alchemy tradition. And, you know, and he goes, but, I mean, you know, would it, would it do anything? And I said, ah. I'm like, well. And I just it out loud. I'm like, this carbium calcinate, and you know, the, it does. I mean, that is how you think of like tums or something. You know? Right. It does stabilize chemical compounds. And he goes, so we could be like stabilizing the biochemistry of the plant for it travels. He goes, oh, we don't know how long it travel. And I went, well, we do. We have exact dates. Medici never threw away anything. Oh my god. We we know when the recipes mailed out. Mm -hmm. We know when she gets a thank you note. Mm -hmm. Like dates, hard dates. So the dust settles. Because we're like, you could potentially look at the compounds in the plants. Right. With skull, stays right. bioactive longer than without skull. Such so a hypothesis, right? So the dust settles. We have a plan. Yeah. We map out how long it has to travel. Right. Earliest was six weeks. Latest is about nine. Okay. Great. So that's how long we need to look at bioactivity. And then we come up with, basically, make the recipe with and without skull. 
right? And then a bunch of controls and all this. Right, right, right. A little more of that, but that's that's essentially the idea. That's so cool. So my search history very quickly said, what's closest to a human skull? And it would make sense they need this. Actually, the recipe calls for skull of a man who died violently but was never buried. Oh, my goodness gracious. I know, I know. <laughs> but I get it, oh and here's goodness. why. If they'd been buried, you now have a skull that's got, like, Decay and mold and fungus. Right. Okay, okay. So you need clean skull. Right, right, right. And then violently, that means you don't want someone who died ill or old. Uh, you need young, fresh, healthy skull. Right, right, right. It's a little scientific. It's horrifying, but also not without logic. Exactly. Interesting. We oh did gosh, say, Kira. so now we go get a skull. Well, it turns out that a cow skull was actually pretty good in terms of the collagen ratios and this kind of thing. So it is January, and I have TikTok videos of this. Um, the students bring in this cow skull that Peyton got from rural Missouri because they're resourceful animals. My students are. And it's huge, right? And they're like, so, and it had been skinned and that, you know, like it was from yeah. a butcher. Like, you know, it's like it, you can't it, put take it in a coffee grinder. Well, eventually <laughs> we put it into blood. But yeah, yeah, yeah. So we take it out onto a tarp in the middle of the quad, and it's like three degrees outside, right? And they're like, so... Okay, so how do and we— And our other students go, what are they doing what are they, now? Oh, my, we got a lot of— <laughs> it, got, it got messy real fast. So, of course, they're like, it's a botany lab, right? And right. we're out there with like a chisel. We're like, I don't know, man. Let's just start hacking into Here this thing. Here we go. Because we need two ounces that we've, you know, cleaned and refined. And the student's like, so, so what do we do? I'm like, guys, do I look like I am— Anything but winging it at this point. This is pretty far outside <laughs> We're my— We're going to just figure this yeah, out. This is science. Oh, my god. Where gosh. you just figure it out. Right. right. You know? Yeah. So we—they're there chiseling stuff. There's bone and gristle flying off into the plants. We hack stuff off. We boil it down. We grind it. We do the whole thing. I think the facilities on campus—you know, I called them. I said, hey, so, so we didn't need that much bone. I'm like, so we have a—I uh, have a— 40 pound cow head in a tub <laughs> and I need a place to put it. And obviously the freezers and the bio lab are not, you know, they accommodate DNA, not a head. Right. And they're like, you know, Kara, you never just call us for like light bulbs. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I know, but like, what can you do for me? And they, they solved it. They're like, oh, hang on, I'm walking, you know, whatever. So it took, you know, it, it took months and we learned a lot. Right. Right. But, um, and, you know, because we isolated, you know, the paonoflorin and the albiflorin, all the different things that go into this, right? But here it is at the end of the day. And actually, this, this poster will be presented at the International Conference this summer in Madrid. One of my favorite cities. I mean, what's not to like? Right? Yeah. I'm going well to talk some science, eat some paella. It's yep. going to be great. Good. But uh, essentially, the graph, like I said, that someone skull didn't do a thing. What a bummer, right? Probably it's in the amounts. I mean, obviously, you'd have to do a lot more testing than just one right, semester right, of, right. you know, undergrad. But that's why you do this. But it was great science. It, it was good, clean science. And um, and it was great. Yeah. So It was fun. Me, that was the people, update on The Princess. So you, you're on TikTok. What are you on TikTok as? Oh, no. So I, the students were on TikTok. Oh, and I have like, okay. So, um, but how do people find out more about you? So Instagram or, or just... Uh, I mean, this this will sound arrogant, but it's it's not. It's just my name. Did you say it. There are no other Kira Krakuses on the go. internet. I'm, it's like Mish. There's yeah. so no few mishes. mishes out there. Mish but Hancock. There's literally yeah. no other Kira Krakuses. That's there you it. Go all You're, the way to page. You are whatever. the original. And, and you get only. to the weird back page of the internet. Still just me. Easy. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Super easy. I, 
But yeah, but the other part on the um, skull thing is that um, the students, two of those students, one's at a med school, one's at a dental school, one's at a PA school, they had great interviews. They weren't going into plants or skulls or history. But I'll tell you what, when they got, you know, asked at their, like, say, med school interview, so this original research you were part of, like, oh, let me tell you about. I mean, how interesting. Yeah. And they had to troubleshoot them. and learn really the scientific how method and process. Great. So it was great. But I tell what you a what, gift to I them. think those stories, like, what a great narrative to have and story to have when you're being interviewed. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Where it's right. like, they're so used to, why do you want to be and a doctor? And then people remember you. It makes hundred interesting. percent. Kind of like a A little bit, yeah. Oh. I anyway. have some fun questions So that's the update. You. Are you ready for yes. my questions? Yes. All right. My first one is, if you could invent any plant, what would your plant be? What would it do? Oh, invent a plant that would do something. Yeah, like you get to invent it. And you can be as magical, fantastical as you wish with this question. Okay. Um, <laughs> I can think of I can think of two. Okay. Um, one is a plant that, because um, then they photosynthesize. They're magical creatures who can literally harness light and turn it into, you know, food. Right. Right. Um, but uh, what if it could just, uh, we could harness the first half of photosynthesis and just charge batteries. So free energy, Ooh. literally like, like the most clean version of solar, oh but just my gosh, as yeah. efficiently as that. That would be, I mean, all plants are doing this. I just, the part where we could access exactly. it. Exactly. Uh, pure clean energy coming straight nice. out. That'd be great. You know, you I like that. Grow it and do it. Um, and the other is, um, uh, and we do have lots of plants that are like the source of cancer drugs and things like that. Mm -hmm. But, but I want the one that is, uh, absolutely doesn't make a human sick also. Yeah. I mean, chemo's yeah. rough. Right, right. right. We'll yeah. poison you, but hopefully you are okay. And So actually right. an anti-cancer uh, drug from a plant that is just uh, as mild as, say, uh, THC or I love it. caffeine. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> that would be, I think that would be transformative. Of course it would. Yeah. Yay, because that is the icky part about a lot of things that we do is it has this negative side sure. effect. Yeah, you, and, get, you get these great biochemical responses, but I mean, oh, it's yeah. good to go through. So I guess, yeah, a, a gentle, wildly... Uh, effective medicine and then you know free energy no low bar things here i'm asking you know, for right? i like it though i like it you know you got it you yeah. can start up here and work i like sure. it yeah um all right this one is so off the not even about plants okay if you could choose one celebrity ghost to haunt you oh a ghost <laughs> to haunt me hang out whisper in my ear yeah you know you'd be like hey whatever celebrity <laughs> What's up? Okay, so um Oh, I uh, so immediately when it comes to like immediately science, I was like, well, I like Darwin whispering my ear. Ooh, see, I like that. Like, right off the there bat. You right? Go. Like like I just that's like a perfect. You know, one that for would be you. great. But I mean like that's I don't know how like celebrity juicy that is. Darwin's right? yeah. a celebrity. But Darwin is yeah. We all mean, we know that name. Sure. He's that's never, celebrity. He's never been out of print. <laughs> true. That's so yeah. true. So oh I guess gosh. that would be wouldn't that be, that would be one. Fun? Like yeah. you could be like, okay, one for yes, two for no. <laughs> and there's all these questions. Just give me a hint. Yeah. Um <laughs> no I think I think just uh you know yeah. I like I'm it. a nerd. Yeah. You're, a, you're an awesome nerd. All right. And then finally, um, this podcast, of course, is all about kindness. The only people yeah. I have on are crazy kind people. So just share something top of mind that kindness you witnessed, you received, you've given. 
Uh, so that happens all the time. Right? I know it does. As well you're as super kind. I, well, I love living in the Midwest. You know, I'm, I'm originally from California, mm-hmm. um, but uh, I I nested up here easily. Right. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I'm, a, I'm a social animal. Um, so, you know, the the tagline from my lab or the message that I always say to all my students, no matter what, like, like you just took IntraBio with me. That is a rough class. It's it's the weeder class for pre Right, right. Okay. And I say, look, a lot of you are probably, gonna, you know, switch your majors or whatever. Regardless of whether you're, you know, going to stay in, in science or not, um, I want them to learn to be. If nothing else, leave my class going, I want to be a good mammal. And that is the tag phrase that's like, is over my door. I was everywhere. Like, that. it's it's known to be. A, so that's, that's, that's like my tagline, cool. be a good mammal. But here's what it means to be a good mammal. It's three things. So, because it's like concentric circles going wider. So, a good mammal, they take care of themselves. Mm-hmm. You, you take good care of yourself. Yes. Physically, emotionally, mentally, et cetera. A good mammal takes care of each other. We are, so to my students who often come from a very Judeo-Christian background, I go, mm-hmm. hey, you know the answer to am I my brother's keeper? It's yes. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Just FYI. Yes. It's yes. Absolutely. Um, and then the third is a good mammal. So yourself, others, and your planet. A good mammal takes care of their ecosystem. Yeah. So that is the trifecta for me of, I guess you would say, like, my ethical center, how I hope my children are raised. Who knows? The girls are in their teens. It's rough. <laughs> you well, know? yeah, you're getting the eye um, rolls and the, oh, mom doesn't know anything. Uh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and then for my students as well. Yeah, is to be a good mammal. That's, uh, that's well, what I've got. Kara, thank you yeah. for being a good mammal. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I don't know that. You know, we're coming up on the first round of exams in, in about a week and a half. Yes. I'm not sure my students feel I'm a good mammal. <laughs> but this I am. Is... I'm trying to level them up into the next thing. Hey, so, I mean, yeah. nobody said this stuff was easy. No. Exactly. No. Yeah. So, Kara, I'm so glad I got to have you on again. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank yeah. you so much. Oh, and I want to give one plug. Okay. It's a whole other project. Give the plug. Small. Well, it's not small. It's a big project. But I collaborated with um, these artists and photographers mm-hmm. who have a book called The Earth and Door. And my students did, and myself did, the plant research for it. And their book is about the plants of Emily Dickinson. So this is so many... Oh, cool. So we've got Emily Dickinson. So we've got literature, photography, like where they literally did photography using her plant uh, chemistry, which is very cool. And then, the, and then the the botany part. And it is in a show currently, because I got them hooked up with Mo- Mobot, that is um, at the Sachs Museum. It opened. It runs through March. You can see my students mentioned in there. You can see their beautiful photography. There are events uh, coming up where they have someone dressed as Emily Where's Dickinson the reading. Sachs Museum? In the heart of the garden. In, in Mobot. Oh, in Mobot. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. It's up That's on Instagram. So cool. Yeah, okay. it's called. The, yeah. And so, um, but it's got a lot of connection pieces. Gotcha. Um, so art, photography, Literature and it's the earth and earth and earth and door. I can send you a link. Okay, to that. yeah, yeah, awesome. But, um, but the their art show about this and like I said, you'll see all of us mentioned there is in the Sachs Museum at Missouri Botanical Garden, and there's all these events around it through March, including the artists are coming, photographers are coming in March, and we'll do like a, a seminar series and that kind of thing. Oh, how so, awesome! There's always hey, like more humanities botany things doing. It's, yeah. I mean, and it just, side project. The feeling is it just <laughs> feels like I mean, you're so passionate about what you do, and that you you just have fun. It's been so much. Life fun. Life is fun. Yeah. That's so what we want. high recommend. So thank you for letting me plug that because. Okay. That's of opening and, Absolutely. and uh, coming up. Thank yeah. you for plugging so. it. Yeah. Thank you for being a guest again. Thank Kira. you so I much. I love and adore you. It is lovely to be here. You do such beautiful work. Yay, yay, yeah. yay us. 
everybody out there, go be good mammals. Go be good mammals. Go be good mammals. This is this is like could be your mantra for the it next is mine. however long. Yeah. Nobody steal it. Yeah. It's <laughs> no, hers. Steal away. It's not mine. <laughs> yeah. All right. Everybody out there, you're listening to Mishmash. Go be good mammals. Love you. Mwah. <laughs>